Hello and welcome to a special edition of the podcast today. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC senior congressional correspondent Mary Bruce. And our guest today joining us right here in the studio is Amy McGrath, uh, the uh, a Democratic candidate for Congress in Kentucky's 6th Congressional District. And uh, if you don't know uh, Amy's name yet, uh, you should Google it. Uh, but you probably have seen her already because her initial video went viral uh, because you were doing really cool things in fighter jets. <laughs> That's what my five-year-old says. <laughs> Not bad, but the, the first female Marine to fly an F-18 in, in combat, which is pretty pretty cool. And you're, you're in the video doing it. But, but let's, let's talk a little bit about what got you into this race, right. because uh, this is your first time running for, running yeah. for political office uh, after a career in the military, a big year potentially for Democrats. But what got you off right. the sidelines? Well, to me, it's about service to country. Um, my whole life has been defined by service to my country, and I just felt like today um, we need better servant leaders. And so that's essentially what got me in this race. You know, the election of 2016, I think, changed a lot of us. Um, and f- for somebody like me who's a veteran, uh, who, who has served, who has fought for my country, it definitely changed me. It made me realize that uh, we need better leaders on both sides of the aisle. And as somebody who's been a Marine, um, the, the, how, you, how do you change things? You step up to the plate. And you are the one that says, hey, put me in. And that's that's essentially what I wanted to do. I said, hey, I need to run for office. Um, we need to be the change we want to see. You're a Democrat running in Kentucky, a very heavily pro-Trump state. Uh, mm-hmm. Andy Barr, the incumbent there, actually Mike Pence coming into campaign for him yeah. uh, j- just this week. So h- how do you overcome that? I know that nationally the Democratic Party is in a much different place in Kentucky than it is right. in the state. State sure. Democrats have had a lot more success. But when you're associated with right. national Democrats, there seem to be a problem in recent decades in Kentucky. Well, yes. And um, and I think you're also seeing that this week in, in Texas a, a little bit as well. But, you know, I would say a, a vote for Trump. Trump was not a vote for the Republican establishment. All right. And people uh, in Kentucky and I think around the nation, but particularly in Kentucky, they're they're tired of the establishment. Look, the establishment hasn't worked. It's not working for many people in Kentucky on both sides, the Democratic establishment and the Republican establishment. And and so uh, people are excited about um, new leaders and folks who come from all walk of life who didn't grow up within the establishment. People who have served their country and not their political party. That's really resonating. And that's what we see in Kentucky. I think that's what you also see um, in Texas this week. Now, you're part of what's being called the pink wave, this rush of female candidates that we're seeing across the country. How much of that do you think is due simply to the fact that Donald Trump was elected and that we have this sort of resistance vote? And how much, you know, is that really not a factor? Is that just part of this kind of cultural moment that we're in right now? I think it's a little bit of both, Mary. I mean, I think that um, as women, uh, we have sort of woken up a little bit. Um, what the studies show is that, you know, um, as women, we get elected at the same rate as men. The reason why we have 19% women in places like Congress is because we don't run at the same rate as men. And I think one of the things we're starting to realize is we have to step in into the arena. And we have to get in there because, uh, let's face it, we need to be at the table. Um, the, the dynamic changes. This is what I learned also in the military. You know, the dynamic changes culturally, um, not by people telling you what to do from the outside, but by having women rise within the ranks of the military to have a peer who's a woman. 
a lot of times it's not really the men. It's just that when there's no woman in the room, there's a sort of group think. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the best way to deal with women, you know, or the best thing that to do on these these issues when they don't know. If you just had one woman in the room, or perhaps more than one, we could kind of throw the the proverbial BS flag on a, on a lot of things, and I think that's what we're starting to realize. So some of it is a is a is a maybe the the sort of anti-Trump um, idea of we don't accept his behavior. We don't accept him. But some of it is, hey, we need we need to be players now. We need to get in here. You mentioned how the election did obviously play a role in, in your decision to run. Do you think mm-hmm. had Donald Trump not been elected? Would you be here sitting, talking to us today, running? Is it something that you'd always thought about? You know, that, that's a great question. I, I don't think that, I think public service has always been in the heart of Amy McGrath. That, that's who I am. Um, now, would I be running right now, today, if it weren't for Donald Trump? You know, maybe not. I think what he did was he, uh, for good or bad, he showed us that, um, things are really broken in the establishment. And, I mean, that's why he, he won so handily in, in Kentucky. Again, it was sort of an anti-establishment vote. But he also showed us that, you know, that the time is now where, where regular people need to stand up and be leaders. And that's that's essentially what, you know, that election taught me. And, um, and that's why I'm doing it. You mentioned the establishment, and the Democratic establishment is an issue in your race, as mm-hmm. they've been in other races. Yeah. The DCCC, not on board for your campaign. They were very involved in, right. in recruiting a Democratic primary opponent yeah. of yours, the mayor of Lexington. Uh, we saw a, a bit of a rebuke to the DCCC in Texas this week, yeah. and the results there, their, their favorite candidate, uh, advanced to the runoff, but uh, but is going to face the person that they tried to, to end the career of, essentially. Right. Yeah. What's the, what, do you, what lesson do you draw from that that you think that the you know, trip should be listening to we're, we're seeing that the the the, the well-funded sort of um, having the establishment backing doesn't really help you in fact you know um, people are sort of tired of that they don't trust the Democratic National Party you know many many in Democrats in Kentucky don't um, they're looking for somebody who's honest they're looking for somebody who's served the country they're looking for somebody that who has um, character and integrity and not necessarily looking for um, the same old names okay that you see the same um, old candidates who lost their last election by 14 points the big city mayor the millionaire you know I mean this isn't really resonating in in rural Kentucky and um, and and it shouldn't you know we need to have people from all walks of life and too you know too many of the same types of people who continue to lose uh, folks get that you know and and so I think um, for this race for for the people of Kentucky um, you know I want to be the candidate that brings in um, different type of experience a younger generation that cares about public service so let's get into some of the issues, because I know health care is one of the leading issues driving you to run. Yeah. And Kentucky has become such, in many ways, kind of a microcosm for the, the fight for health care across yeah. the country. We've seen any effort to, to repeal and replace Obamacare stall over and over and over again here in Washington. How, what makes you confident you can change that? What makes me confident that I can change the dynamic? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if we get enough people... Um, and again, this is about a sort of a new way of a new generation of, of leaders. We can change it. Enough people who actually want to go in and fix the system that we have. And this is when I go out and talk to folks um, in my district. You know, it's, it's about electing somebody who in good faith 
wants to fix the system, doesn't throw people off of, of health care, which is what the Republican incumbent is doing for purely political reasons. You know, um, and this is why I'm running, you know, because I saw that in Kentucky, the Affordable Care Act, while not perfect, you know, did a lot of good. We went from an over 20 percent uninsured rate in Kentucky to about 5 percent. That's not bad. Now, it's not perfect and premiums are still rising and there's still a lot of problems. But I, I when I talk to folks, I say elect somebody that wants to fix the problems, not make it worse. You know, and that that sort of resonates. Now, I don't want to make empty promises. And that's the other thing, you know. We have a we have a president uh, who who campaigned on. You remember what Donald Trump said? I'm going to bring health care to everybody. It's going to be great, and it's, we're going to lower costs. And oh, by the way, we're going to lower the national debt at the same time. Well, come on, mm. he he lied, you know. And so I don't want to do that. I'm not going to go to folks and say, hey, this is going to be easy. But here are some practical steps. I was a Marine Corps officer for 20 years. You know, Marines were practical. Um, we don't lie to people. The best leaders are the ones who tell it like it is and have a vision for how to how to work and how to make things better. But sort of don't blow smoke, you know, <laughs> in places that, uh, that that you don't want. You know, don't lie, essentially. Uh, and that's what I've been saying. That's why I'm talking about things like the public option. That's why I'm talking about things like a Medicare buy-in plan. These are practical steps that can help us move in the right direction. Let's talk about guns. As a Marine Corps veteran, you're very familiar with guns, I have yeah. to think. Uh, yeah. very, very comfortable around guns. has been a big national debate just in the last couple of weeks, restarted yeah. by the tragedy in Florida. What is the message that you're taking to voters when yeah. it comes to the Second Amendment and gun control? Sure. Are there things that you say right now need yeah. to pass Congress? Well, the biggest thing that, that when, when I go and I talk about this is, is one, credibility. Okay, um, running in in Kentucky. I'm a gun owner. I was a Marine for 20 years. I've shot just about every every weapon you can think about. Okay. On the other hand, um, I'm a mom. You know, I've got three small kids. I believe gun violence is an epidemic in our country. Uh, I think the the one of the ways to fix this is one, um, make sure that our politicians aren't bought off by special interests. Uh, let's do the things that the majority of Americans and the majority of gun owners already think we ought to do. Why hasn't that been done yesterday? And I'm talking about things like universal background checks. I'm talking about things like banning bump stocks. I'm talking about things like uh, uh, having reasonable restrictions for folks who are uh, mentally ill. Assault weapons ban? You know, with the assault weapons, um, I think that ought to be on the table. You know, I think we ought to talk about everything. We should not be coming up and saying that nothing is on the table. This is an epidemic. Uh, Basic things, though, like being able to have the CDC and the National Institute of Health study gun violence. I mean, come on. Why haven't we done that? This is this is crazy now. And we need people who are elected officials that that get it and, and want to actually try to fix this issue. So I think everything should be on the table. Do you think, though, that that this is, I mean, once again, we've seen, unfortunately, the same situation play out where you have this national debate over guns, plenty of calls for actions, these, you know, incredible movement by these students, and yet nothing Nothing. is changing in this town in Washington. And here we are, Congress is in session, they're not doing anything. How would you change that dynamic when you seem to, because I think there are plenty of, of your would-be colleagues who right. would agree with you, and yet it's you're perpetually running up against this We wall. are. Um, so how do you change it? You get a new generation of leaders. So one of the things that you talked about earlier was a sort of a wave of women also. There's also a wave of, dem- uh, of Democratic veterans, post-9-11 veterans, who are running, and we all get it. 
we all have been to war. We see what weapons of war can do. Um, we all want to try to fix this this problem. And I think if you can get enough of this sort of younger generation, I mean, look at look at the students in 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 Florida. It's going to be the younger generation that's going to come up and 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 try to make change. So I mean, I I, I I'm not going to be the sort of you know. Uh, hit, I forget what the the movie was. Mr. Smith goes to Washington mm-hmm. or whatever, and and is idealistic that Amy McGrath is going to fix everything. Come on, but if we get enough people, we can make change. We get enough people who are not bought off by the special interests, who have credibility, who can do reasonable things to move us in the right direction. I think we can do it. Before we let you go, there's a question that I've asked every Kentucky politician that I have ever interviewed, and you could probably see it coming. Favorite bourbon. <laughs> and I'm going to press you on a real answer. You can tell Rick's priorities no, I here. Let me know the real answer on this. There's this, um, it, it's the, the um, Frontier Whiskey. I really like it. It's, it's, um, it's made in, um, in Anderson County, which is a county in my district. Um, and I, I just, my, we had, a, we had the Marine Corps um, breakfast on yeah. the Marine Corps birthday on November 10th. Well, all the, all the, I shouldn't say old Marines, but mostly old Marines get together and we have a breakfast. And at that breakfast, we have a shot. And, uh, <laughs> and it was wonderful. And I'm, I, I was like, wow, what is this? You know, I'd never, I'd never tasted it and I love it now. So um, we have a couple bottles in our house and we like that. So. I like this. For so breakfast. I, I would say for just, that was only one day. <laughs> I don't normally do that. Is that, that the is Marine that Corps the birthday, we, we, we do some special things on the Marine Corps birthday, Marines do. And, um, and so, yeah, that's not, a, not the norm for me. <laughs> I will I could not get Mitch McConnell to answer that question. He, really? Yeah. See, well, he represents the whole state, so he doesn't want to offend somebody. Yeah, I guess the, I guess that's a terrible <laughs> politician thing for me to say. You know, I'm not, <laughs> but you know what? I'm not your standard politician. There you and go. And so I'm just going to tell you what I think. And you know, but it's nothing against any of the other kinds. They're all good. Yada yada. <laughs> Amy McGrath, candidate for Congress in Kentucky. Thanks for being here. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break here on Powerhouse Politics, but when we come back, a former Miss America who is running for Congress in Deep Red, Alabama. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. Hey, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. I'm joined by my colleague Mary Alice Parks now. And Mary Alice, it has been... uh, an extraordinary thing to see as many women are uh, as there have been jumping into uh, into candidacies. Not all of them are well known. I mean, you've been talking to some some pretty high profile people um, because they're becoming political celebrities in Texas. Is there a kind of a, a common strain that you're picking up on in, in terms of what's motivating them for office? A lot of them are fed up and sort of aghast at the current political situation and climate. A lot of folks that we talk to are very quick to recall election night 2016. They talk about being stunned that the president was elected, stunned at this really red wave that uh, swept the country. And so clearly this president and, and his agenda and his administration has motivated a lot of women to get involved. But I am just constantly struck by the kinds of women that have raised their hand. We are talking about so many women of color, women coming from diverse career backgrounds, so many uh, folks who were not politicians. We're talking about women who were lawyers and dentists and, and advocates and healthcare professionals, and they are coming with new expertise and interests into this political climate. 
And uh, that leads us right into our next guest, who's uh, left a career as a news anchor uh, to, to move back to her native state. Uh, but she was very prominent for other reasons, uh, as, as Miss America 2013, uh, before getting involved in politics. Only 29 years old. She's running in a deep red part of the country in, the, in her home state of Alabama. A big challenge ahead, but, uh, but quite a story to run on. Mallory, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, so talk about the, the. We know the spark behind the scandal. What's the spark behind the political interest? What took you to this this next step to decide this was the time to to get involved? You gave up your job as a as a news anchor uh, in, in Georgia to move back to Alabama and make this happen. Sure. Well, um, I've always been politically involved in some realm or another. As a young woman, I was involved in Miss America through the teen program. So, starting at thirteen, I started advocating for arts education in schools. And then I moved into working with the Dove Campaign for Real Beauty as a body positive advocate and a self-esteem coach throughout my later years. And then um, as Miss America and beyond, I've advocated for child sexual abuse education across the country and also to restore funding in the 2014 budget for our child advocacy centers. So I've been standing up for myself and others and uh, for my community for a long time. And I've always thought about going into politics later on in a career path. And um, I just, you know, this political climate has been so divisive over the last year and a half or so. And there's a lot of conversation about us versus them. And um, and to me, it's just it's it's really disheartening. And I think all of us need to take a responsibility for the world that we live in. And um, there are quite a few young people who look up to me. And when I looked at Congress and saw that there were only four women under the age of 40, I said, you know, maybe this is the time. Not, you know, even if I don't win, which I am planning on doing, but even if I don't, uh, hopefully I'm setting an example and uh, inspiring some other people who are in my age range to get involved in their community, whether it's at the local level or whether they want to run for some sort of public office. And I don't have to tell you about the district because obviously you grew up there, but the, the stats are daunting for a Democrat running there. Donald Trump won 65-33. Mike Rogers actually won by a little bit more than that. Uh, President Trump is still a very popular figure in, in large swaths of red America. You know that. What is mm-hmm. What gives you some sense that this is the time and you are the person that could potentially turn one of the reddest districts in the country blue? Well, I think the first thing is that uh, Miss America itself is a bit of a uniting force. Uh, There are very few people who don't get excited about speaking to or listening to a Miss America. And, um, you know, I've already had some, I've already had some experience representing all people, whether I agree with them or not. And so that's, that's a door opener for sure. And, and having these tough conversations that are, that we're having in our district. And it also gave me the chance, you know, I traveled the country. I was in a different city every other day. I was in big cities. I was in small towns. And it made me realize that, you know, people are much more similar than they realize. And so a lot of this is about how you communicate to people and, and how you allow them to communicate with you. And one thing that I've seen is that, you know, we've had a lot of representatives, not just in our district, but across the country who aren't very accessible to their constituents and who don't allow them to express their grievances or to tell their story. And, um, that's really important. So I think that we'll, we'll start there, uh, being someone who is listening, who is accessible, who genuinely wants to learn more and wants to actually be a representation of everyone who is in our district, not just uh, Republicans or Democrats. You know, you are just one of more than 400 women running for Congress across the country. That's nearly so double excited. the number <laughs> from 2016, which is incredible uh, and, and historic. Why do you think so many women are stepping up right now? Well, 
I'm sure that there are a multitude of reasons that women are stepping up and all of our stories are, are very different. But at the end of the day, I'm hoping that it's because, you know, we realize that we all need to move forward. And in order to do that, we need more diversity at the table. We need gender diversity. We need uh, racial diversity. And we also need generational diversity. Um, and so I'm, I'm really hoping that if even half of these women are elected to their office, that we are we're changing the fabric of what it means uh, to sit at a table and to have a say so in our future, our kids' future. Um, and so I think that every, every single one of their reasons is different, and, and I won't speak on their behalf, but I'm really hoping that what it leads to is, is more diversity in all of those arenas at the table. But do you think a lot of these women are running, and, and do you, yourself, are, are you running in part just against President Trump and his agenda? I mean, do you consider yourself part of this so-called resistance? I'm not running against President Trump and his agenda. I am running against the world that we are beginning to create, I think, for our kids. Um, you have the divisive rhetoric, the uh, the us versus them, like I was saying. I, you know, I look at this through the lens of I have cousins who are 10 and 11. Their names are Camden and Kaysen. And, you know, they, they see how adults are acting. And they are going to begin mimicking how some adults are acting and thinking that certain things are okay to say just because you think them. And I just don't think that that's the world that we want to create for kids today. And so I'm, I'm running to, to, to run against the status quo. I think Donald Trump offers that too, but I want to run against the status quo in a way that brings people together and unites them and um, still has some character and, uh, you know, is a role model. We want, we want our leaders to be role models for our kids. You know, I, in preparing for this interview, I went back and watched uh, some of the, the clips from your uh, Miss America pageant uh, back in, in 2013. I don't know how recently you've watched any of it, but I was I was really struck by uh, one round of questioning in particular because it just seems so relevant today. This happened right after the Newtown school shooting, and you were asked, I believe by Sam Champion, actually, our, our colleague here at ABC, um, about a proposal that was then on the table from the NRA to put armed guards in every school, and your answer was that you didn't think the proper way to fight violence was to, to fight violence. I'm just curious, given the gun debate that we're having right now, what do you think needs to be done in terms of uh, gun measures, uh, whether that's uh, arming teachers, which the president has talked about, or uh, universal background checks? Is it something that you have developed a position on? Uh, well, let me first say that you know, there are guns in my house. My, my father has multiple guns, and they reside in our home. Um, and it's something that I've considered on my own, having lived in New York and Los Angeles at one point, you know, I, I have considered owning a gun myself. Um, so I, I see nothing wrong with the Second Amendment. No one wants to take away anyone's rights in that arena. But I do think we can start with some things that all of us agree on. And, it, you know, polls show that 97 percent of Americans agree on stronger background checks and a longer waiting period. And I think that, you know, as, as heavy and hot as this debate has gotten, that's a great place to, to start federally making sure that every background check system is the same. We close in the private loophole and we also make people wait a little bit longer. Um, to me, that's what I would be pushing for to start. And um, in regard to teachers, honestly, I have seen and heard from several teachers who think that that is just, you know, not the best route and studies show that that's not the best route. Adding more weapons into a scenario is not a way to keep our kids safer. Um, and as someone who has looked at my best friend in a casket, I can tell you that what we want to do is is take every measure possible to make sure that no more kids are dealing with what these kids at Parkland have had to deal with. If I can ask, what happened to your best friend? 
My best friend actually passed away in a car accident with four other teens. Uh, they they snuck out one night and um, here in our community, and they got in a car accident overnight. Oh, so wow. I attended two funerals in the same day for two girls that I went to school with, and one of them just happened to be the person who was closest to me. So I know what that feels like, and we don't want to create that um, that scenario in any heightened sense for kids in any capacity. So what about an assault weapons ban, reinstituting an assault weapons ban? We've seen the, the similar weapons being used in many of these gun massacres, including the shooting in Parkland. Um, I don't know that I'm a fan of an assault weapons ban, and I think that the people of my district would agree with me. Uh, what I can say is that if we make it more difficult for someone to obtain an assault weapon, that's a really great start. And I hope that this conversation continues throughout um, the, the course of our future, and, and we really see that a longer waiting period and a stricter background check will reduce the amount of crime, and then we can build on that from there. You know, listening to you talk on this issue, um, you sound relatively moderate, talking about bipartisan proposals, um, talking about, you know, citing polling numbers uh, where folks on both sides of the aisle can agree on on some um, possible safety measures. Is that the model for your campaign, big picture? Is that what it would take to win in Alabama as a Democrat, running as a as more of a moderate? Is that how you, how you see yourself? I think that's what it's going to take for all of us to win, uh, to be quite honest. I mean, this is about the future for every person in this country. And if we continue to, to us versus them, like I said before, then we're going to have a really hard time with anyone getting anywhere. And so I do think that it's going to take all of us inching closer to the middle on certain issues. And then, you know, there are some issues that I, I won't won't move away from and they're they're how i feel so um i think that it's going to take all of us going okay i'll give you this if you give me that how can we move closer to the center so that all of us are finding something that we can uh, move forward with what are those core issues that you won't budge on what what is core to being a democrat and running as a democrat well you know i think that the for me it is what's going to be the best for the most amount of people in our district. And um, for some issues that, that won't be something that everyone's agreeable on. But uh, for instance, you know, creating a quality healthcare and uh, better jobs for people in our district and um, making sure that they have the opportunity to learn a technical skill, that's something that they want so they can move into a high wage job straight out of high school or after a couple of years of, uh, of learning. And um, more affordable and accessible health care for people in our district. We have rural hospitals that are closing here. People are having not just a hard time paying for health care, but they're having a hard time accessing it once they do have an option to pay for it. So it's things like that that, you know, I, I think we're going to we're going to have to stand strong on that. We want to see more people insured and uh, more people having access and. Yeah, the list goes on, but those, those are some of the things that people here care the most about. And so I'm going to work work my hardest and my, and my best to make sure that, you know, we don't budge when, when something is going to benefit more people. And our guest is Mallory Hagan, uh, a congressional candidate in Alabama. And Mallory, before we let you go, uh, I want to ask just about the way that your name came into the public spotlight around the, the Miss America scandal uh, a couple of months back. It strikes me that there, it came as part of the, a broader conversation, the so-called Me Too movement, uh, with a much more honest and frank discussion out there uh, on, on sexual harassment and sexual assault. Yours struck me as, as kind of an interesting twist, because it had a lot to do with body shaming. Uh, it had a lot to do with um, 
um, just sort of gossipy discussion of, of body image. How have, how have you taken th- those revelations, which must have been very harmful for you to process, and channel that into campaign discussions, campaign energy? Do people ask you about it? What do you talk to people about? You know, I have to admit, I haven't had too many people at least here, ask me about it. And maybe it's because a lot of the people in my district know me. I mean, I grew up here. I have generations of family from here. So um, I think what people have taken away from that scenario is my strength and my ability to be a voice for something and to stand strong on, on my behalf and on behalf of all of the young women in the Miss America program and just young women in general who are looking up to this scenario. But it's also been a real uh, real opportunity to get out in the community and talk about harassment. I spoke at our Southern Union, which is a community college here that has three campuses. I spoke to their administration not too long ago about systematic harassment and what that looked like in my life. So taking it away from maybe sexual harassment and moving it into the sphere of, you know, this person used a nonprofit and wielded it against me, used every person in the nonprofit to, um, you know, to sort of ostracize me and continued that for years. And so really opening people's minds to what harassment means. And it, it's not just one thing. It doesn't serve one definition. So uh, I think people are just really seeing that, that out of this came someone who can handle it. I can handle those tough scenarios and tough conversations. And um, I can stand strong in that, too. Another big chapter in this sweeping story of the Me Too movement uh, played out in Alabama with the Roy Moore campaign. I'm wondering how uh, your experience talking to voters about that, about his race and the accusation against him maybe played a factor in your decision to run or or could it change how you run your campaign? Um, to be very frank, I haven't really had too many conversations about Roy Moore. There's a lot of excitement about Doug Jones and that we have conversed about for sure. Um, but I, I haven't talked too much about, about Roy more and, um, and I don't plan on it really, you know, that now that's in the past and let's figure out how we can all step into the future. (laughs) All right. There we go. Good way to close it out. Mallory Hagan, a congressional candidate on the democratic side in Alabama. Thanks for being here on powerhouse politics. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So Mary Alice, this week saw the start of voting. Uh, what's your big takeaway out of Texas, where there was this record number of, uh, of women running for office? Well, like I said, I'm surprised at how many women of color uh, uh, stood up and won. Texas hasn't had a Latina represent the state in Washington, which is pretty remarkable considering the fact that it's Texas and 2018. And now it's looking likely that there will be at least two, if not more, because um, some Latina women uh, won in their primaries in really blue districts, so they'll likely win in the general election. Uh, So women not only ran, but they they won. Women of color won. And just looking at this incredible uh, turnout numbers on both sides, we are just seeing incredible engagement among Democrats and Republicans. So much interest in politics this year. All right. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics, a special edition, part of our recurring series, talking to some of the first, first-time first candidates coming off the sidelines here in 2018. Uh, for Mary Alice Parks, I'm Rick Klein. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Rick Klein, at Mary Alice Parks. You can please subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you get the podcast. Leave a review. It helps other people find the podcast. We were produced today by Trevor Hastings, David Rind, Avery Miller, and Angie Yank. Thanks to all, and listen next time. We'll be back next week with a regular edition of Powerhouse Politics.